This episode of Earl Grey is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for iPhone, iPad, and iPod, Android, Kindle, Windows Phone, plus Mac or PC. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. T. L. Grey, hot. It's time for another serving of Earl Grey, our dedicated TNG show. I'm Darren Moser, sitting in the center chair this week. I'm joined by my co-host, noted Shakespearean actor, Daniel Prue. Now, Daniel, how do you think your theater skills will translate to being on the bridge of the Enterprise? You know, I just there's something telling me that there's going to be a moment in time when know, something like the Ferengi they're gonna they're gonna need my acting skills on the bridge so I can so I can save some naked Betazoids. I just I think it's going to happen. I just I think that's going to be useful in that scenario. So uh, that's why I'm kind of brushing up on my skills. Well, I'm also joined by my other co-host Philip. Gip- Wait, Philip, F- Philip isn't here. Oh, I'm I'm being told that due to contract negotiations, he's going to be replaced by Diane Moeller as our featured co-host. Oh, well, I guess while we're waiting for the shuttlecraft to bring her on board, we have a special guest to discuss a very special topic today. As you may be able to tell from our introduction, we'll be talking about the casting process for the actors of Star Trek The Next Generation. To bring his patented Trekspertise to the topic is Dr. Trek himself, Larry Nemechek. Whoa. Thanks for joining us, Larry. <laughs> Thanks, guys. I'm just watching all the uh, short-circuiting to be and cross-circuiting and uh, all the transporter fritzes going on back and forth here, but... It's good to be here. Hopefully we won't lose Philip in a transporter accident. Last time that happened, it took us like a week to get him back. Yeah, well, it's usually it's usually a holodeck accident on this show. Yeah, you know what? Those I, things are deadly. That was that was very retro uh, techno babble there with the cross circuiting to be. I should have said something. You know, there's a there's a trans phase inducer in the particle buffer and in the yeah. I should have TNG. I mean, I got a button right here to reverse the polarity. I do it so often. I just made a <laughs> macro on my computer. Well, Larry, first we wanted to dive right in to the established actors of TNG, Patrick Stewart. Now, in in this regard, you're almost trying to find like a new Kirk or you're, you're I mean, you're definitely finding a leader. But what was the process to, to find Patrick Stewart, to find a new person to helm this new ship called Enterprise? Well, guys, well, I mean, the whole... You look at Next Generation now from all these years later and all the different series might as well be all one wall facing you. But you've got to remember these things happen one at a time. Gene's whole driving concept about Next Generation was we're going to recreate the original series, show it wasn't a fluke, but it, this new one has to be different. It has to be the same but different, which is what all Star Trek's, you know, it's, it's, it's a victim of its success now. All Star Treks have to be the same thing, but different. So, and what's the line? What's the formula? How do you find that? You know, even JJ's has to be the same, but different. So, Next Gen was uh, okay. Here's the spirit and the vibe, but when you got down to the individual characters, they didn't. You know, they did not want a Vulcan science officer. They didn't want you know a 
a crusty doctor. They didn't didn't need the farm bred uh, grown up you know captain. They really tried to find things out of the box, and it was kind of easy because you know when Gene did the original series, he was a young guy, he was a young producer trying to fight and claw his way up the ladder of Hollywood. And he'd been going at it for a few years. So here comes the guy they eventually call Jean-Luc Picard, who was actually Julian Picard at the beginning. And and it's easy because you'd also had 20 years of critiquing on the original series. And two or three of the things that I mentioned in the Next Generation Companion, uh, my book, which some have called a classic, um, part of that was, uh, um, you know, that you had young Gene, now you had elder Gene. And, and one of the critiques of... David Gerald did this in his book that a lot of us read early on when there was nothing else to read out there, was that, you know, A, you wouldn't have your, in the real U.S. Navy, in a real military situation, you would not have your captain leading the landing parties every single time. They'd be on the ship and you'd have more experience but more expendable people doing that. You would not risk your high, your high dollar, high invested, uh, trained chief officer to do that. So that was the whole reason they came up with the, uh, you know, captain stays on the ship, and and uh, the first officer leads the away teams, yeah, which you know leads to Riker. So Picard is supposed to be on the ship, and so as a, again, it's this is an original series. It's it's the new thing. He paints Picard as an older, wiser, experienced. You know, it's not the young brash, <laughs> cowboy diplomacy. Uh, you know, character of Kirk, which we look at that in hindsight now. We say that at the time it was just, hey, it's the 60s, it's Kennedy, it's James Bond. That's where the show was. You needed an action hero guy to be your captain. But, of course, there were a lot of layers layered into Kirk, and then William Shatner brought a lot more that wasn't set out in the writer's cut. So out of the box, Picard was supposed to be not an antithesis to Kirk, but it was supposed to be a contrast. But you wouldn't lose that because then you would put a lot of those qualities into Riker. And, and, and recycle the term number one, <laughs> which didn't get used after the cage, right? So, yeah, so that's where Picard comes from. And then I think they were trying to make it be international. They were trying to get it beyond just, you know, uh, homegrown vanilla Americans. So they were trying to be global. And the French, uh, the Picard, the whole thing was honoring uh, Jacques Cousteau, and the Picard actually named the balloonists. You know, so that's, that's where Picard came from. Yeah, I have a question. You know, I mean, I've heard a lot of these things before, and I don't know. Uh, you know, I don't know if you can tell, but when when TNG was coming out, I was barely out of the womb. So, you know, I, I wasn't. I'm not aware of like. <laughs> so I, you know, I'm curious. Like when I look back on it, and when I read these kinds of these things, like the development of Picard character, it seems to me like it was one of the biggest gambles uh, of like. Of TNG, like the fact that they were like getting a holy, it was it like was anybody like, this is a crazy idea. We can't do this. We should just get another kind of Kirk character. Oh yeah, yeah. Because again, here's you, you've got this everything. Every aspect of the show was you know make it the same but different. And so you'd have a little bit of uh, round robin. I mean, everybody realized that the worst thing would be a carbon copy of the original series. You're going to make this bold. I mean, the, the, the setting was great because even though you had that, that vocal minority of fans that said, I'm not going to watch this. This isn't real Star Trek. Star Trek is Kirk Spock McCoy. I don't care if Gene is doing it. Star Trek is Kirk Spock McCoy. How can you, have, how can you call it Star Trek if it's not Kirk Spock McCoy? Well, now you look back at that, and that looks like ludicrous. 
But at the time, that's what that's what Star Trek was. You know, no bloody A, B, C, or D. And and I wasn't one of those people. Well, I was a. a minority of fans. That got a lot of attention. I was one of the fans that was saying, "Shut up! It's new Star Trek, dummy! Shut up!" You know, it's been we've been waiting for twenty years. It's not a movie. It'll be shows every week. Shut up! <laughs> but there were a lot of people that didn't couldn't get beyond that, and they basically went underground. I mean, you know, I say that. I mean, there are a lot of really old original series fans who kind of have come out of the woodwork. In fact, what's weird is Enterprise brought a lot of those people out of the woodwork, which is really strange. But um, they came back for JJ. Yeah. You know, Kirk's Bach and McCoy, finally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there are people that actually came out to see Enterprise because they knew it would lead into Kirk. Now, whether they were <laughs> whether they were happy about the way it was or wasn't done, that's a, that's a whole side story and maybe even another other series, but a podcast, but another show. But, yeah, that's it was a gamble. Yeah, it was a huge gamble. And then, then it turned into, of course, when you get into the casting, that's the way they sketch the character. Then it was... You know, Gene was just like he had to find a Frenchman. He had to find a Frenchman, and they couldn't they couldn't find a French actor that they liked. And then, you know, you guys know the story, right? Bob Justman famously seeing Patrick Stewart at a UCLA work, acting workshop, and uh, he was, it was open to the public. And he turned to his wife Jackie and said, "I think we just found our captain." And and Rick Berman, who had just come into the team, loved him too, but they could not talk Gene into having Patrick. And Patrick flew over. He was in a play in London, in a Shakespeare play, and and he brought his toupee with him even, and he read with the toupee on, and everybody loved him, but the studio loved him, but Patrick and Gene just would not give up on having a French actor. But they finally overcame it. But yeah, it was, but even then it was it was a gamble having a British guy, having a bald British guy be the lead captain. Yeah, absolutely. So, Larry, besides Patrick Stewart, which, you know, now we have his star power, you know, and like you said, he had a Shakespearean background. I've heard with LeVar Burton, I mean, he was already famous. You had Roots and Reading Rainbow. I mean, when my wife first watched Next Gen, actually, she saw the episode of Reading Rainbow where he goes on the set and she thought, oh, they just made a little side role for him. And I'm like, no, he's like a main character on this show. You know, what was it for casting LeVar Burton, for casting the Geordie LaFour role? Well, that, I mean, people, you know, again, go back to the time. But this is like uh, they announced the cast in the spring of 87. So, yeah, Farpoint airs, um, airs in the fall. They shoot it in the summer, fall of 87. They shoot it um, in the summer. It wasn't, it was cast like in March and April. Um, you know, it was pretty. It was pretty recent. They'd been developing it since the fall of '86 or so. They had all the big 20th anniversary. I mean, the studio for the first time marked an anniversary. Star Trek in '86 in the fall. You know, September 9th. Star Trek for the Whales, <laughs> the Voyage Home, is a huge hit, and it's the biggest crossover movie to bring in you know non-fan people in. And between that and the anniversary, that Paramount's like, oh, we should like start promoting this. And the local stations were screaming, can you please get us more than 80 shows, 79 shows. And so then there was the big think tank about, well, do we just recast and do a reboot before they knew the word reboot? Do we just recast and go on or what? And, and the genius thing was to say, no, it's too soon to recast the original crew, but let's come up with this conceit about jumping ahead 78 years, which I started to say a while ago. 
for those people that were saying any Star Trek had to be Kirk, Spock, McCoy, that not only got around the immediate problem of the original cast still, you know, in fine shape to keep acting, but it totally... Yeah, they were just in a movie. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, 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 you can't knock in it. The most, you know, in some ways, the most expensive of those. Thanks for saving the whales, Kirk, but uh, I got this young guy over here. <laughs> it's time to get you Yeah, and, you know, like, videotape was, you know, VHS cassettes and all that after it was coming in. No, but it was, it exploded... Star Trek canon and the parameters of the Star Trek universe. Where now it wasn't. We now we start talking about things like franchise and you, the universe and you know Gene Sandbox and you know it wasn't just these guys within a certain amount of years. It was like uh, eight years in the future and oh we're expanding what's going on and now you can go up and down and back and forth in time. I don't mean time travel, but I mean you can have a setting of a show in different spots, much less in. You have a history. So it totally, yeah, it totally blew open the the world we think about now as the Star Trek universe. Up until Next Generation, it didn't happen. So that was a kind of a gamble, but again, it made tons of sense. But you were you were saying like Jory LaForge. So it's really funny to go back when they announced the cast in the spring of '87, like March April. Um, the, the the AP <laughs> the AP story, which I still have, and I've got it in the book. Uh, you know, which is not based That's on Associated anymore. Press for those not in the know. Yes, Associated Press. Thank you. We don't. We're not so. Uh, we don't have the AP and the UPI football pull every week anymore. So, um, as a big deal. Yeah, Associated Press. The main story that every newspaper in the country, around the country, got. You know, based on facts, not about pecking order of well, here's the captain, here's the first officer. So here's the the lead is, Lavar Burton of Roots. Wesley, uh, uh, Will Wheaton, Stand By Me, and this really famous British Shakespearean guy that you probably don't know his name, but you saw him in Dune, and I, Claudius. And then Dune, other oh my gosh, yes. And that's really how, that's, that was the lead, and that's how they, you know, they had a paragraph for, for LeVar, who had just been big in Roots, you know, Emmy Award, you know, television event that the whole country watched, and then Will Wheaton, Stand By Me, this incredibly popular movie, these young kids, fresh-faced kids, and then... This Shakespearean actor, which will land gravitas. Oh, and he's Captain and oh, and he's bald. And you may have seen him in Dune and um, and uh, I Claudius, if you're a PBS hound. <laughs> you know, and that's the way the cast was. And then a bunch of other people. Maybe you saw this hey, one hey, guy hey. in North and South. <laughs> you know. Um, oh, and you know, and maybe you kept reading. It's oh, and look, it's Bing Crosby's granddaughter. You know. And that's the way. Well, I mean, uh, they could just go on IMDb and look up these people. Oh, wait. No. Oh, no, you couldn't do that in 87. That was back when we had to, like, you know, tell people things and interpret for them. That's back when we had trained journals. Oh, I didn't say that. Um, <laughs> but that, that's, that's the way it came out. So, yeah, that's the, that's the you know, um, they read lots of people for the captain. They started off with, you know, sky high ambitions. They even, uh, you know, like Yafit Koto, and I mean, they weren't even tied down to. As much as Gene wanted a French actor, they were reading all kinds of people. And now, famously, I mean, I, the last couple of years I've done a one of the shows I've done at conventions is like the runner-ups for TNG because they're the best known and uh, make a lot of sense. And, and to their credit, every single person with one exception who was a runner-up to one of the main characters uh, wound up being at least a guest star. It's like, oh, we got these good people. You know, if they made it all the way to being the number two person. Probably yeah. a pretty good actor. 
Well, you're you're talking about your Tim Russes, you know, and and a lot of other characters. I mean, Tim Russ is kind of an exception because he became a lead later, but you know, you, you see a lot of these people in fairly quick order into the Star Trek universe. Right. Well, even if it's just a one-off, because you know, if they're that good an actor, they're the casting people are gonna they're gonna need they're gonna start consuming guest actors. They're gonna have to keep finding good people, you know, week after week after week. So. Um, Especially when the show is a little bit of a dicey thing, because a lot of people didn't think it would, you know, they thought, oh, it's just a gimmick. It's they're just going to make 22 shows and throw them in with the 80 and have a package that they'll offer people. You know, it's like, nope, you got to take these 20. Mm. <laughs> if you want the if you want the 80 originals, you got to take these 20 suckers or these 26 suckers. You know, but but and Patrick and a lot of the rest of the cast says they never thought it would go. You know. Well, yeah, I mean, family. Uh... Patrick's been famously quoted as saying, you know, he didn't unpack for, for ages. Cause he's like, why, you know, this isn't going to stick around. And then somewhere along those seven years, I'm sure he did unpack. <laughs> but... Well, when we get down to the doctor, remind me of, of Gates's story, but yeah, so you've got, I mean, it's a dual, it's a, it's a dual question of, first of all, how they set up the characters, what they finally went to the think tank on, uh, how they evolved to the point, you know, data, grew out of a quester from Gene's pilot, the quester tapes, which was about an android searching for his humanity and his real creator, and he had a human, uh, uh, you know, along with him. Um, it was they were the main two characters in the show. And, um, you know, you had a female security uh, chief who was inspired by the character, the tough little, you uh, uh, uh from Alien, right? Yeah, uh, Vasquez. From the, second, from the second Aliens movie. Totally was inspired by that and drove even the, oh, we just have her be Latina. And, and you know, and we, now we take all the stuff that was blasé, but get back to where they were at that time. It was, it was radical to have, ooh, how, you know, how feminist in the 80s to have a female security chief, you know, kick butt kind of a thing. That was pretty, we didn't have to. Well, touching you know, on Tasha's character, you know, Tasha and, uh, and Troy, you know, again, not that anyone doesn't remember that both Marina Sirius and Denise Crosby had cross-read. Do you know any more, like, information about just how that kind of went down and where, you know, I think, Denise, yeah, Denise read for the Troy character and, you know, Sirius read for, uh, was this, yeah. you know, the security. Fi- well, it was as simple as... You know, Marina can play. She loves to talk about how she can play and would like to play everything from Israelis and, you know, like uh, darker Arabic types to Greek, mm. which is in her genetics, you know, but British because she has her accent or you can turn it off and be American, whatever. She can, she likes, she has a good ethnic look to her. And so they actually, have, since she has that dark hair and darker look, she can go to. That's why she was reading for, um, for the Latina, for the uh, uh, Macha Hernandez was the original name of the security chief. And she was reading it just because she was dark and it's Hispanic and that's what casting people do, right? And all they right. had for Troy, because, you know, essentially the original... For three seasons, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the original thing on Riker and Troy was basically lifting the story, the unused story, really, of uh, Decker and Ilea for motion picture, mm. right? So yeah, I can see a lot of parallels there. Yeah, well, that was the original idea. So I mean, not parallels the episode, but you know, <laughs> multiple wars. So all they, but the only visual description they had for Troy, besides knowing she was going to be this race called Betazoids and be partly empathic, was that she was just going to be an exotic. 
it's one of those things of, well, we'll keep it wide open and we'll know it when we see it. They didn't have any prejudged. So they were reading people of all kinds of physical types, women, you know. So, yeah, they get two-thirds of the way through, and one day they're reading in the same day, and uh, um, I think it's Jimmy Lowry who's reading pilot casting. They're all in there reading, and they've gotten probably two-thirds of the way through the process. They're, they've read tons of people. And they're halfway, two-thirds of the way through, and it's coming down to where there's three, four, five, six people left for all the roles. And they go running after them and say, you know, they're kind of in a pool. They weren't necessarily, like, reading all the Troy. You go back and look at the notes that I've got from Bob Justman's. I got to make a copy of his notebook all the way through the casting process. And they would have a day's people reading, and it would be like one or two of each character. It wouldn't be like a whole room full of, you know, Troy. All right. Of them. It was a slow process. Yeah. So they're kind of being halfway polite to everybody that way, easy on them. So they've got a mix of people, and they come running after them and say, hey, would you guys come back and like just read for, instead of reading Tasha, read for Troy? Okay. So yeah, so they famous, because they thought that, they suddenly someone went, hey, that Denise Crosby, she's kind of like, got a tough, you know, lean, feminine, but lean look to her. Let's try her. There and then they just said, "Can you two?" Because they like both the actresses. I think. Can you switch? And said, "Okay, sure." And so they quit looking at at Marina as dark and passing for Hispanic, and um, just kind of let's fluff her hair out and have her be kind of you know let their imaginations get out of the box. Because this is one thing you try to do is like you go in with preconceived notions, <laughs> like a French actor playing Captain, and uh, <laughs> who has all of his hair, and then you. Uh, <laughs> You know, you um, and and you uh, let yourself be free when you get down a certain point. And you go, let's let's just double check ourselves. And that's a mark of good casting is to shake things up and not be too. Well, and that's really smart because I mean, there's no Bible you're reading from yet. There's no well, Troy has to be. The, I mean, Troy's a character no one even knows who she is yet. Yeah. So while she's being born in a sense, you know, now's the time for for tweaks and for or complete complete casting changes. Right. So when they went that route and they flipped them and they had uh, Denise be uh, Macha Hernandez, obviously she was they're not going to dye her hair. So they just said, let's just make it a different nationality, a different ethnic group, and made it quite Russian, bio-Russian, and you know came up with Natasha Yar and and uh, just went that way. But then you know then Jordi um, Lavar, that was a real coup to get an Emmy-winning. You know, actor in your cast like that, and he was at a point in his career where Roots had been what about eight years before, and he was out of the young. You know, he wasn't eighteen anymore; he was into his twenties because uh, Roots was like what 78, 77, 78. So this was eighty-seven, eighty, you know, eighty-seven now. So it's ten years later, and it was just a good fit for him. And um, but yeah, they read people, and like you mentioned, Tim Russ was kind of generally the number one uh, runner-up. And they used him a couple of times. You know, he was a terrorist in Starship Mine five years later. Right. Uh, he's a Klingon on, on DS9 early on when they uh, kidnap uh, Jadzia's... When they kidnap the Dax, um, take it out of her. So he's been multiple races. Yeah, yeah, before he comes back around. And then he was even a bridge officer in Generations, right before he got cast on, on Voyage. So, yeah, it's... it's Wait. It's, the I, TNG cast... I think we're getting... I think we're getting a... A transporter effect, Daniel. Oh. 
<laughs> Increase the annular confinement beam. <laughs> I'm going to reverse the polarity. Reverse it. Re- double reverse it. Well, now you're both reversing the polarity. Philip, you you made it. You 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 didn't you, you just trapped in the transporter. We're so worried. Yeah, or replaced you know, by Dana Mulder. I, I was I was in contract negotiations with our executive producer. Now you know, after his surgery, we really don't see eye to eye. We see eye to eye patch. But anyway, I was explaining that um, I have a too great soon. Uh, too soon. <laughs> Too soon, fellow. <laughs> but I, I was explaining to him that my character can have more development this season, and he hinted, and I'm not going to, no spoilers, there may be a romantic subplot with one of my other co-hosts in season seven. He pitched it as a sort of Beauty and the Beast. So, uh, no spoilers, though. No spoilers. Oh, uh, well, we're so glad you're you're back, Philip. You know, I was uh, just going to ask if you had the biofilter on when you beamed him in, but... Um... Yeah, but uh, there was another guy with me, but uh, he didn't make it. Oh, oh poor guy. <laughs> we'll need a new science officer. That's still like a Vulcan. <laughs> oh. Well, Larry, one of the things you were mentioning about, you know, you said the top three build, not necessarily from their their rank, but because of how people knew him. You said Will Wheaton people would have known in 87 because of Stand By Me. What was that process about? I mean, especially since that role seemed to have a very direct connection with Gene. I mean, taking, you know, his middle name and, and all of that aspect. Well, yeah, it was supposed to, that was supposed to be probably 20 years ahead of its time. That was supposed to be an homage to Gene being a misfit kid who was smarter than, you know, kind of had to hold his light under a bushel and kind of go about his business. And and that's why, you know, it's it's really unfortunate after, you know, Will Wheaton obviously got the role, everybody, all the all the Wesley bashing that people still love to do. But even at the time, it was really, it was really some idiots. When he first started doing conventions, were really cruel about it. And, I, you know, anybody that had a clue, it was like, Jesus Christ, it's not the 50, it's not the 14, 15-year-old kid. Like, blame the writers. <laughs> Having no clue the first season. Don't blame him. And, you know, and to this day, now, you know, uh, Will has a complex. How early? Because I've heard, and I don't know how how early this very complex, but it's a complex. I, I, yeah. yeah, I don't know how early this discussion was, but wasn't it supposed to be Leslie well, Crusher be at some point? They went back and forth. Bob Justman made. Was, it. was there a yeah to have it be a girl? So if you're going to make a statement here about young people and being, you know, brilliant and and letting them be all they can be. Um, Without being in the army, be all they can be. What if? Wouldn't it make an even bigger statement if we had, you know, an empowered teenage girl? Talk about being twenty years ahead of time. Um, boy, just think what that would have shaken up. The, how that would have shaken. Up. Katniss Everdeen on the Enterprise. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, no. Well, you know, a phaser might go through the hole, but a bow and arrow won't. <laughs> would 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 it, would Leslie uh, uh, Crusher have been played by a young Ashley Judd? <gasps> I think that was, I think that was about five years ahead of that wave. No, they never they never got to cast. I mean, it, it wound up being male. It wound up being Wesley by the time they went out to cast. But they went they went back and forth like once or twice when it was Leslie. And, and the thing was, um, and going back earlier, it was like Leslie Wesley Leslie was a major character, and their mother, like Beverly, the whole backstory of. Picard feeling, you know, that he owed the kid something because his dad had died under his watch. That all was, right. like, there from the beginning. And it was almost like an afterthought. It was almost like, you know, Nog's mom and Rom's wife. 
It was like, oh, and then there's uh, there his mom will be the doctor, and uh, you know, blah blah blah. And it wasn't until they got into it, it was like, okay, now we can't just downplay this and have her be a minor recurring character. See, the other thing here going on too was, if you remember your first season, there wasn't a defined chief engineer. Or he's one of our chief engineers, or our guy. You know that whole of the day. That all got back into the we don't want to have. Captain, Vulcan, science officer, medical officer, engineer, be all, you know, communicate. They even came up with different names. We didn't have a communications officer. We didn't have a right. navigator. We had con and ops. I mean, they were doing all this bit to subtly separate it from original series. And one of the things was, well, the captain has to be captain. Okay, the first officer will not be Vulcan. It won't be an alien. He's going to be the actual, the old young Kirk, you know, be an actual XO instead of yeah, a yeah, slash you know, if, science if officer. If someone's going to bed the alien princess, it'll be the first officer, not the captain. They gave him all the Kirk stuff. I mean, they were really trying to get out of the paradigm of what made the original. And part of that was, you know, making the <laughs> the chief engineer not even seen. You know, we're going to have 15 different chief engineers. So there's no Instead, one. the chief engineer couldn't see by the end of it. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, uh, and having the chief medical officer, the chief doctor... You know, kind of, okay, well, it's going to be Wesley's and Wesley's mom as the chief engin- the chief doctor, you know, the chief medical officer. And as they got into it, they're like, okay, well, we need to kind of like not, we do need a doctor to deliver all the medical technobabble, you know, exposition. We do need them to be around a little bit more than, say, the original Galactica doctor, you know, who wound up being Admiral Hansen, by the way, at Best of Both Worlds. Oh, yeah. That actor. Yeah, so, I mean, Dr. Dr. Crusher... Beverly Crusher was actually like a minor recurring role. It was almost the way Bartlett was going to be president on the West Wing in a recurring role, and it was really going to be about the underlings. But they realized um, they realized that they needed a doctor <laughs> to deliver the medical exposition. Right. They needed a, and and they realized they could kind of play with that whole thing. And by the time of Naked Now, the whole thing about the latent attraction between Picard and Crusher, and isn't that kinky because he and Jack Crusher had been great friends, and that was all kind of late exposition. The, the Jack Crusher, Wesley's dad, dying under Picard's watch, and he feeling a little bit, you know, beholden to the kid, even though he doesn't like kids. Um, that was there from the beginning, before the Beverly Crusher character was as, was envisioned as one of the regulars. But that, that came along pretty quickly, and by the time they cast it, they knew it would be that. Yeah, it definitely sounds like, you know, her being the CMO, or being, you know, Wesley's mom was like, okay, well, we put that on the cocktail napkin, and then later on we're like, oh, we better actually all tie these threads together and actually make it make sense. If we're going to have a sick base set, we ought to have somebody in there when we go in there, you know. I mean, they didn't have an engineering set until the last minute. They have like, oh yeah, because they weren't going to build it yeah. until he wrote it into Farpoint. <laughs> He's like, we need to have an engineering right. set, and there wasn't because there wasn't a chief engineer, yeah. and it was like, and but he knew it's like we don't spend the money now, and do, and of course they were all building out Intro. of the movie <laughs> Star Trek sets, so they just went and re- right. I mean, it wasn't like they had to go from scratch, but they had to go in and, you know, Herman Zimmerman gets the award for. Making, if, I mean, the built was built, the the bridge was built from scratch, but most of the rest of the right. bones of the no pun intended of the of the sets existing were regressed and retooled, you know. But so Herman gets this great award for making everything look shiny new, even though he only gets to creatively, he only gets to deal with the outer like one fourth of it. Right. Okay, so we've gone through the bulk of the main cast. Now, my third point I have is the last minute edition. So Michael Dorn. 
you know, putting a Klingon on the bridge, having Michael cast. What what's the main story around that? You know what? Before we get to Michael, there's a couple of little stories we we kind of skipped over. Actually, we yeah, definitely. Everybody gets off on the whole Marina uh, Denise switcheroo casting thing, but there was a number two person for both of those roles. So, um, so, and and for for Beverly, you know who the number two, the runner-up choice for Gates McFadden. As uh, Doctor Crusher was, I have a feeling you're going to tell me. <laughs> you're, nope, that's Jeffrey it. Combs. Oh no, <laughs> Jeffrey. <laughs> Damn, you did read the book. He's everywhere. Okay, he's everywhere. He's everywhere. No, if you're a big Logan's Run movie fan, you'll know this name. And I was, we were talking about some other roles she had done. Jenny Agutter was the number two. Was was the runner up for um, to Gates. For, for uh, who was the lead in the original movie Logan's Run, and and many others, she had a good career after that too. And um, uh, the runner-up for for Marina as Troy was an actress named um, Marta Dubois, who wound up playing Ardra the Devil in oh, Devil's. Oh, Duke. really? That's Daniel's <laughs> character. Yes. <That's> a... <laughs> The runner. Welcome back to the podcast. <laughs> well, now we're talking. All right. And the runner-up, Tasha, the runner-up to talk to Denise Crosby for Tasha was, and you're going to love this. Any guesses? I, I don't know any. I know all the men, but I don't know the women runner-ups. I don't know. Was it maybe who ended up being one of the those chief engineers? McDougal. Of the well, just let this watch over you. Marta Dubois. She was runner-up to both of those roles. Either Can you one. imagine, like, hmm. it's bad enough losing out on one, coming all the way to the process. Oh, yeah. But to lose out on both. Yeah. That's why she was so angry and <laughs> came back as the devil. Yeah. And, of course, before, if you want to get... We haven't talked about Riker. No, we haven't. That's true. Which was... That was the really the most, like, upfront, down-to-the-wire choice because it was between Jonathan, who was who got kind of Gene's unofficial backing and blessing and pulled off to the side and Billy Campbell and Billy people thought that William Campbell was going to I say William Campbell to distinguish him from you know Koloth and Trelane <laughs> William Campbell but Billy Campbell who wound up who was in the Rocketeer already by this time and who wound up being you know the outrageous Oconan not so outrageous um, <laughs> the not so outrageous Oconan yeah. he, he got lowest and, lane uh, and again, uh, don't, don't begrudge him no, no, no. He was the Harry well. Patrick. They put him up against Patrick at the very end, and they just thought that Patrick, as you see in Elkana, they just thought that he didn't hold his ground well with uh, Patrick. Mm. Patrick is such, a, even though Patrick's not a tall guy, but he just he has that Shakespearean presence, you know, that gravitas, and and um, you did a man who's going to sit down on a chair any way he dang <laughs> wants to. You did, and then you know, just get rid of that baby face, and nothing can destroy him. You know. <laughs> just bring it back you know in a couple movies later now i mean how when you're when you're at least when you're casting next generation you know how how important was it to have quote unquote names because like lavar burton coming off roots and then will wheaton coming off the movies like did they were they afraid to have too many names which I, that may just be a stupid remark of mine or i mean how what was sort of the line between how many name names and how many just people well they had a wish list of, I mean, they had a huge wish list of people for Captain. 
I mean, the one that always pops into my head was, I mean, even though the famous story about, you know, like Gene wanting a French actor to play his Picard, and they had to talk him into Patrick. Um, uh, and by the way, we should mention that the runner-up actually wound up being an actor named Steve Macht, who wound up playing the uh, General Krim on DS9. And uh, thanks to the last section of uh, DVDs and the great documentaries that, um, that uh, uh, they're doing on those, uh, he actually has a little, they interview him and what it was like to, just imagine if you'd been Picard all these years. But, um, uh, oh, where was I? Now it's my turn, guys. You can edit. We were talking, yeah, uh, The runner-ups. Oh, the names, 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 names. Yeah. You know, as far as names go. But, I mean, it's, you, you start out casting a wide neck and you'd love to get, you'd love to get the biggest names you could. And so they were, they were tickled to have, Lavar, but like I said, it had been ten years since Roots got all the attention, and he wasn't landing huge parts. So by that time, it wasn't like, "Hey, I'm a Emmy-winning actor, and I can do better than this AC sci-fi rip-off, second-generation syndicated sci-fi show." It was like, "Okay," and and Lavar was, you know, that's you know, you know his character by reading Rainbow and by what he was doing at the time, and he was he was a uh, he was a Roddenberry Star Trek fan himself, you know, so he got it. He got it what the show could be, what it could reach, not just as far as numbers and what his salary might be, but he knew the heart of the Roddenberry vision and, and what Star Trek meant to people. So he was, you know, and but again, he was doing Reading Rainbow, probably wanting to get some acting chops in and hoping this would be a way at it. So you're, you know, and, and, and Will Wheaton is young, so even though he had a lot of notoriety from and a lot of star power from... Stand by me. He was still young, so this could be a you know a series regular on a show is better than a one-off in a popular movie. That's a that's a career climb. It's not like anybody's taking a back seat here. But Patrick is a stage guy who had done some movies when they wanted stately British guys, like we were saying, you know, Dune and Claudius. Although Claudius was a TV series, but most of these people, it was a it was a step up. And of course, we haven't even talked about the Android rule yet, but um. We're just thrilled to get what they could get. I could answer your question. Yeah. But yeah, so the the last two of the main cast, we have Michael Dorn, Worf, and Brent Spiner for Data. Now you mentioned obviously that Data's character, you know, came from the the Quester tapes, at least in its genesis, not like or the, the, torpedo, or the episode. But uh, are you allowed to say planet. Genesis or the planet? Yeah, or the chapter. But what would you, you know, how, what was Brent Spiner's uh, journey to Star Trek? Well, I think he drove down Melrose. <laughs> <laughs> passed by and he passed Gower and then he, no, well, I mean, uh, his his kind of like notable claim to fame was he was in the, broad, he was a Broadway actor. Uh, he done TV and film too, but he was a Broadway actor. I think Sunday in the Park with George was kind of his big claim to fame, although when I saw him and saw his name and realized who he was, I used to be a big fan of Night Court, the sitcom on Thursday nights on NBC. And, uh, you know, and that was, you had like the four or five regular night, you know, the, uh, Harry Anderson was the judge, and you had two or three supporting characters in his, in his court group, and then you had, it was almost like Barney Miller, where you would have all these different characters come in, and there'd be three or four subplots of, you know, goofy people coming in. Some of them, times they'd have some poignant, you know, terms. I believe that also started a certain Klingon officer. Yeah. 
Oh, he, but, but Brent was, uh, he was the guy, there was this hit couple that came in, the Wheelers. And he'd come in and do his hit guy. And they were on four or five or six times. And I saw his face and I was like, oh my God, it's, it's the hit guy from Night Court. So that's how I, you know, I knew that better than I knew Sunday in the Park with George and Tony Nominee or whatever he had from that. But he, you know, so he wound up getting that. But the runner-up for Data, you guys know who the runner-up for Data was? I remember, don't back. Man, we would have been done terrible at the trivia questions here. <laughs> it was Eric Menyuk who played the track. Johnny Five? Oh. oh, that's right. Oh, yes. Oh, I can see that. Um, yeah. Well, he so wore pale makeup well, other than that. Yeah. So, yeah, so there's your top. But then you, so then you get down to work, right? Well, I, I think the curious thing with Spiner, like when they were casting him, because it seemed to me. And I don't know, Daniel and Darren can correct me. I'm just going to throw a number out. Season four. Um, until the writers are like, oh my gosh, Brent can do anything. Let's just give him everything. But like, did they know that when they cast him? To make him play every <laughs> member of his family. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think, you know, I don't think he's that, he'd had a role where you could see that. So, mm-hmm. no, I don't think that the idea that he was going to be so personal. Although the character... I don't know. Well, they kind of look at it as we need a, you know, we need a Spock character in that it's the alien commenter on human foibles, you know, kind of role. Yeah, that everybody he is that allegory. And even though it was early on that was like, here's how we'll get that quality across. We won't have a Vulcan science officer because we're not going to copy original series note for note. But here's where we'll, we'll insert that. And so, and as they realign the bridge, you know, in the crew positions, not to have a, a literal exact translation of helmsman and navigator and science officer. So Data kind of winds up being that vague combination of, well, he's the science officer slash uh, guy who sits down front <laughs> with the other guy who sits down front. You know, kind of thing. We're not calling him helmet navigation. We're calling him because, you know, Sulu and Chekhov both have to hit the phaser buttons themselves. So there's already been a little bit of overlap there. So, you know, we have con and ops. We have the ops officer. So... We are, we've, several times on Earl Grey, we've lamented the lack of blue on the bridge, but I guess if you're trying to not copy Spock, you kind of can't make your android blue. Yeah. Don't it make your android blue? Wasn't that that song? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Unless, From old yellow eyes. Unless you're hanging around the aft stations, you're not getting a lot of blue on the, on the bridge. <laughs> Guys, I'm over here just paying the camera in the back. Can we put a cling on here? Maybe they'll see me then. <laughs> Mendon, I mean Mordog. Oh, I'm sorry <laughs> you all look the same. Don't be a racist, Wesley, Darren. <laughs> Which is funny if you remember, Marina tells a story about getting back in her, as she always says, spacesuit, you know. Mm-hmm. And we're like, why didn't we have you in that all along? And she'd laugh about how when she has cleavage, she's Troy stupid. When she has, when yeah. she has no cleavage, she suddenly knows the propulsion core of a Romulan, you know, warbird. Yeah. It's a quantum It's basically. Theory. So it's almost She's like hipster oh, look, Troy. A blue shirt back on, on the glasses. The writers. Yeah. <laughs> well, what about Michael Dorn? What about our illustrious well, Klingon who yeah, how, uh, was wearing red and sitting in those uh, front seats we were just talking and, about? And yeah. why how well, did he ever negotiate for a chair? <laughs> <laughs> well, like in that whole big thing, you know, Jordy was down front. He was the con, and the ops officer was Data, and in Worf. Worf was the one without it. He was roving because Worf was the last-minute add-on 
Bob Justman says, hey, why don't we have a Klingon Marine, not not to copy the original series, because they were not going to have any, you know, no Vulcans, Romans, Klingons, you know, thing. But it was, if we have a Klingon Marine, was his original phrase, it would show that times have passed since Kirk's time. And look, he's in the crew. Oh, ooh, ooh. And they were kind of vague about what exactly it meant, but they eventually got that, you know, by the end of the season in, uh, in Heart of Glory and some of the other shows, they got into that, but... He was just stuck back there to be a roving extra guy at the beginning, and he was going to be a recurring character, like, like you know, O'Brien, you know, what you'd think of later on as an O'Brien or an Ensign Rowe. He was going to be in some. He's shows Lieutenant Riley. Stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> better than better than he carried out. But after they shot the pilot, they were like, "Holy smoke, we got to have him back there." Even probably just a few days of shooting, and and he doesn't get into this much. But originally, they were just going to sign him to a, you know, every other. You know, half of the episodes. If it's you know, thirteen of twenty-six shows, but then they quickly said, "No, it's getting for everything." But the casting, since that was like the last thing cast, because it was looked at as a, I mean, they had they had John Delancey's Q in before they had Worf cast, just because it was looked at as a recurring thing. But there was actually kind of a three-way race for it because they were having a hard time. They'd already decided to have a black actor play it, so it would help with the makeup. Whatever they were already, they were already paranoid about, you know, the daily the daily grind of doing Klingon makeup, much less their old memory of having to do a Vulcan every day. And, uh, well, and Data. Yes. But, <laughs> well, and Data, well, Data's the gold. Yeah, that was bad enough. And then, you know, Marina wearing her contacts. But, um... And then, of course, putting uh, on her that, Troy's accent. That took a while. Yeah. That took a while. Hours in the chair. And they change it every year, too, so... Um... They lost the original in the first season. <laughs> Someone stole it. But um, so it was like a three. Wound up being like a three-way race, and the two runners up for him. One of them got used very quickly, although people don't. It's the episode of which they do not mention the name, Code of Honor. Oh, but, uh, yeah. Jesse Lawrence Ferguson was one of the two runners up, and the other one in his thinner pre-Uncle Phil days was <gasps> Avery Shredder. That's right, Shredder. Yeah. Yes. And my thing about the runners-up for everybody uh, who had a real runner-up, um, Wesley didn't really have a – Will didn't really have a runner-up. It was kind of like they had this pool of kids, and they were like, oh, my God, it's, look, it's Will Wheaton from Stand By Me. And they kind of just like – they kept reading people, but it just kind of jumped right to him. Although, here's the wacky thing, and I knew this years ago, and it came up again lately. If you all know, uh, you know uh, Mission Log, the Roddenberry podcast – John Champion co-hosted that when he was a young... Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's true. If you haven't, you should check it out now. But John was actually auditioned on tape in the early call for... for um, he actually, like I think, survived around into the... You know, he went from 50 to 25 or something. So they teach him a lot mm. about being, you know, the alternate... <laughs> the alternate Wesley. Is, is he the mayor, Wesley? Well, that's so cool to hear about, you know, not just the main cast, but those those runner-ups, like you said. I mean, I I think some people have written little things of, you know, took every second-place person and, like, what if this had been the cast? And, it, you know, these well, actors added such yeah, I mean, a dynamic well amount. Known. Yeah, like Tim Russ, a lot of people knew Tim Russ was the runner-up to, to LeVar. Since he wound up being in the cast later on, it was kind of a nice little talking point story to say that 
a lot of those are a lot more obscure until you, like I said, I was lucky enough to be able to copy Bob Justman's version of his casting notes and see who all they had come in and read at different times. And um, Rosalind Chow read early on for um, for uh, Troy and for um, for the exotic Troy. And, I mean, just a lot of... Now, Daniel, that would have been your choice, I know, have you been casting. No, pro- probably not my choice, but... He is a huge, huge Keiko fan. I mean... I don't oh, know who is a bigger. I don't know if you can t- you can detect the sarcasm, but it's there. <laughs> oh, Captain, sarcasm levels are going up the charts. Some, we're approaching some sort of sarcasm, sarcasm. nebula. Sarcasm levels up the scales. There's sarcasm in the nebula. <laughs> oh, if 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 um if if there had been some sort of second place you know, alternate casting of Susie Plaxen anywhere, maybe we could have a conversation, uh, you know. Oh, if only they had had Dr. Salar on as many times as she was mentioned. Oh. That would have been awesome, Austin. But I was going to say, too, my, my little thing about all the second place people wound up getting cast somewhere that was that was not put into place until about five shows from the end of Enterprise when, they you know, James Avery was actually oh, yeah. on the two-parter. That's about right, that's right. Oh yes, yes, yeah. That's right. Yeah, the they did that. Yeah, he, he was a really good Klingon. Just so they could say all the second plays. <laughs> He's like, I'll take it. Whatever. Your lovely consul. Show him the consolation prize. <laughs> it's an. Depending on which one we're talking well, we about, took... it's kind of an okay episode. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much, Larry, for all the extra. You know information you've given us i mean like philip held up to the camera earlier you have your amazing companion to to trek with so much information in it uh well you know a lot now, isn't even in the book a lot of this has come to light or it's been easily researched that's why that's why star trek backgrounding goes on and on it's never ending story because a lot of this wasn't known some of these little details have just come out the last few years and we've been able to get into more and more you know memos and more and more so, backstory and more when am I getting my companion version 4.0 then? Oh, oh, well, you know, you need to talk to You us. just you, you put your finger along the spine and it downloads the update from <laughs> the wait, no. I don't know what you're trying that's... to say there, but that's craziness. Yeah, I was your finger on the spine was interesting, but no, I knew what you meant. No, I mean there have been there's that would be a lovely thing to do and with a lot of the books, the reference, the classic reference books. This that's just scary though. I that Pulled out, that came out of my mouth where I even thought I was saying. <laughs> you heard it here first, <laughs> folks. You can take it to the bank. That. Classic reference book should be like B. Jones Concordance and, and, uh, and the medical reference and the tech manual. But, I mean, that would be a wonderful idea for, like, the 50th anniversary, don't you think, to reprint? That, I totally that agree. Be, yes. Maybe you finally have an Enterprise companion. No, it's, you know, it's the economics and things. I mean, the fact that the companion was in print for 20 years is kind of amazing to me. And you can still get it. I mean, it's still out there. Um, and it's on Kindle and ebook and all that. It's still available that way. But, um, and an encyclopedia that actually went in order? I mean, it's a, it's a weird concept. I know. But not just have an appendix that... Repeated from A in the back, but anyway, that's it. Oh, you people raised on well, not raised on digital. Yeah, what <laughs> we're still in the dead tree uh, era here of of uh, people laying out pages. Well, Larry, are there any projects you're up to right now, no, or Larry's places people totally can find do you, anything. or things you work on? Just sits in that garage no, all day. I, uh, I'm, I'm I'm just working on a birdhouse here. As <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> no, all my Trekland stuff is at LarryNimichek.com, and, and the, the Trekland trunk is, is... I'm ramping that up for Christmas to people to get gifts out with, and the Trekland CDs, all these... These guys we're talking about, some of these... I'd love to... I wish I had been around early enough to have some of these conversations about casting um, on tape like I did later on after about fifth season of Enterprise Forward. I have a lot of that on, on the speakers. But the, the one thing I wanted to let you guys know since we're, we run the show here is this exciting thing that I'm... It's not my thing, but I'm part of the, the team working on it and now talking about it, uh, is Enterprise in Space. And I think we did a matter stream about it, so elsewhere in the network, because um, Chris is working on this on the team too. But long before I got involved, and in he, and in him later on, um, two, three, four years, it's basically started with a fan who said, "Isn't it time there was a real Enterprise in space?" And by the time it was done, uh, students' ability to have ex uh, experiments fly in orbit having the National Space Society take this on as a project, uh, having this core group um, jump in and just say, it's all these real-world educators and rocket scientists and aerospace people and project managers who are all Trek fans and say, wouldn't this be the coolest thing to uh, honor Star Trek and, and all science fiction, really, all your hopeful, forward-looking science fiction, um, and do this project and have it be crowdfunded and corporately you know, uh, helped out. So it's just it's exciting. The more sometimes the more I talk about it, the more it, it actually makes it seem mundane. So I don't want to overtalk it. Mm -hmm. Just you know, enterprisespace.org. The the one of the one of the lines, the little little you know bylines is isn't it time there really was an enterprise in space? Um, and the other line is um, it's it's not totally crowdfunding, but it's like you know a million people around the world, twenty dollars. There's no Kickstarter to it. It's just a very small d democratic. Uh, Crowdfunder to go along with some of the corporate grants and things and donations and nonprofits. So it's just an awesome, an awesome thing. I just hope everybody goes over and and you know, for four years it'll launch in four years down there in 2019. So uh, everybody go check it out and share it and do all the stuff you're supposed to do. You know, Facebook and Twitter and all that. But please, please go over and do it and tell everybody about it because we need to get the word out and spread it, have it go viral worldwide. There's a very cool video. The first video is up now at the site. It's only been up for two weeks, so. Awesome. We'll definitely check it out, and we'll definitely have it in our show notes for this episode, uh, Enterprise in Space. It's almost so awesome and out-of-the-box different that it's hard to talk about, which is you know a challenge. Every, every good talker should be able to talk about it. But it's just there's so many cool moving parts. Just, just go throw your $20 at it and then get your updates. Oh, and when you do that, your, your name flies on a chip that comes back, and then when it's on tour afterwards, it's retrievable. It's a re-entry uh, vehicle. And, um, can mine be in an emotion chip? And see your... <laughs> and you can put on your resume that you've been in space. That you've been in space, yes. And uh, the, the first thing out of the box is for every, all the CGI artists out there and all the ship doodlers as a design contest. So it'll be altered to uh, you know be space-worthy. But uh, they're wanting out-of-the-box ideas to design, to design this NSS orbiter. So enterprise. Hey, the 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 classic uh, saucer and two nacelle design. I mean, it's it's stand the test of time for like a hundred <laughs> years. So if you want to talk about space faringness, I, I think we already found it. Well, you know, <laughs> atmospheric craft here, not. Uh, oh, okay, that's need, true. Uh, that's we true. don't need the Omaha Air Base taking pictures of it, nor but wondering what the hell it is. I mean, saucers so, make um, a great oh, sorry, thing to crash show. a planet oh, on. I've seen it. 
Well, thank you so much, Larry, for for sharing with us about you know casting next gen and and sharing about uh, these wonderful projects you're in. But talking about who is the second runner up, third runner up, maybe even fourth runner up for the next gen for the next generation cast is not the only thing we're talking about here on Trek FM. Here's some other things you might have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. Because we're basically pitching a, a story arc. Right. Like like we're Babylon 5, and we've got this five-year arc. Yeah. But we're going to have a three-year plus maybe the cartoons plus the movies arc. Earl Grey. Billy has 25 <laughs> self-stealing symbols that he needs to trade with a non-Federation species using a different currency. What does Billy do? The orb. They've already been kind of to that next step. I mean, he massages her all the time and well, he knows helps her that, out of the tub again. He knows that so, she has rashes on her thighs. Yeah, so. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, so... To the journey! You know, talk about a, a heavy-handed message. It, like, literally, on your back! It, like, literally, on your back. Like, I want you to feel the weight. You know, like, this <laughs> Like this is the kind of non-subtlety that makes it fun. Warp 5. The fact of the matter is, Bakula is playing this character just as he should. It's true that Archer seems a bit uneasy, lacking in confidence. But he's the first human captain to see these strange new worlds. The Ready Room. I haven't gotten to the point in my research where I'm I'm that caught up. I mean, I, I'm very much stuck right in season one of Next Gen and kind of have That's binders kind of on everything else right now. Yeah, boy, tell me about it. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. And we have kind of reached a milestone here, a little earlier than you might think we would have reached that milestone. This is the final episode of Star Trek. Uh, for which we have a writing credit given to Gene Roddenberry. Commentary, Trek stars. And he wanted it, the first part to be called Becoming Houdini and the second part to be called Being Houdini. Should have been called Houdini Begins. Yes. And Houdini Rises. Yes. Melodic Treks. At only 22 years of age, he conducted the Munich Symphony Orchestra using 110 pieces a 60-piece choir and a 30-piece children's choir. Sometimes you need the children to get them high notes. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So you can check out all these shows and get in on the Daily Trek Talk. You'll find them in iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, the Windows Podcast Directory for Xbox and Zune, or you can stream from the website. Basically, you can find them anywhere. Just visit trek.fm slash pd for podcast directory to get all the links and if you would like to contact us to share your thoughts on today's show just go to trek.fm slash contact from there choose send to show and of course select Earl Grey these messages will be emailed to the three of us personally finally in social media you'll find us on facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm and on twitter under username trek.fm our new listener discussion group is called the babel conference found by typing the Babel Conference, of course, in the Facebook search field, so you can find us there. Please support our sponsor, Audible.com, who helps us bring Earl Grey to you each week. Audible is a great way for you to read all of the books you've always wanted to read, but never thought you'd have time for. Audible is the premier source for audiobooks with more than 150,000 titles to choose from, and new titles coming every week. 
From classics to current bestsellers, and even some of the most famous Star Trek books, like Prime Directive, Federation, and Spock's World, Audible has something for everyone. As a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice, along with a 30-day trial to see just how great Audible is. So give it a try today, catch up on all those classic Star Trek books you've yet to read, and that latest novel from your favorite author as well. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up today. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekfm, and we thank Audible for supporting Earl Grey and all of Trek FM. And lastly, there's one more way you can directly help us keep Earl Grey coming to you each week, and that is for becoming a patron of Trek FM. By visiting www.patreon.com slash trekfm, you can choose among various pledge levels and receive rewards for becoming a Trek FM patron. These rewards let you inside the observation lounge of our network and make it possible for us to distribute all of our great content. So please become a Trek FM patron and visit www.patreon.com slash trekfm today. So, Daniel, if someone wants to talk about uh, the volumes of Susie Plaxen fan fiction that you've written, uh, where could they find you on, uh, on this wonderful World Wide Web? Well, if they're interested in my Susie Plaxen, uh, my Susie Plaxen Michelle Forbes uh, fan fiction, they can absolutely contact me uh, you know, on Twitter. And uh, my handle is 1updan. That is the number one, not the word. Wonderful. And Philip, if someone is interested in talking about subspace phenomenon and time travel, you know, to arrive places, where would they find you? Um, they can help make sure that I keep appearing each and every episode through a letter writing campaign on Twitter at NC Public Servant. <laughs> the NC is never canceled. And if someone wants to talk about, you know, who I think would be a good eighth choice for captain Picard. don't think i haven't thought about it they can find me on twitter under username dr sci-fi that's d-r-s-e-i-f-i well yeah i think uh now we're gonna have to start that combined google doc where we're gonna write our new uh bridge cast guys so i'm gonna go get that started and uh live long and prosper make it so end game fire 